Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Holly. I wasn't trying to play hide-and-seek there with the, the mic. Um, well, good news. Well, bad news. I don't have a children's story to read to you all today. If you all were here last week, I started with a children's story. But on the good news is um, Holly just read the end, uh, the ending of the letter, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So we have made it to the end of Ephesians, and uh, it's been a year journey, and uh, hopefully we've learned a few things. And I hope, through it all, you've seen the glory of Christ in the church. I hope that through it all, you've seen that in the church we have a community that's built upon, formed by, and is overflowing with the praise and the good news of Jesus Christ. If you remember the first half, the first three chapters, we've seen that the church is the people of God, that we're a people called by God, a people saved by grace through faith, a people united in Christ, the first half. The second half, we see uh, that, we, that God has equipped us to be a people on mission to display the splendor of the King. That he has given gifts to his people in this church to serve in his mission. That he, by the Spirit, continually leads us in renewal and faith, in repentance and faith. And that he's called us to be imitators of God in this world. And so we are the people of God on mission to display the splendor of the King. And so as Holly just read, he starts off our passage this morning by saying, finally, because of that, because of what I just said, make sure you know this. And what that this is, is that there is a battle at hand. That the church is not an amusement park. And that though the church is a hospital, that's part of the analogy, uh, we're also an army. We're in battle um, under Christ's leadership. And so, I entitled the sermon, a call to arms. I don't know if that's the grace, best title or not, but that's what Paul's calling us to, that there is a battle, and this is our outline, that there's a battle, that is found, the victory is found in Christ, and Christ has given us armor, 
uh, and then we'll talk about the importance of, of prayer. So there's a battle. Now, a lot of times I share stories, uh, different stories of college. I got another college story. My first two years of college, I actually attended a military college in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, called the Citadel. And like the uh, uh, military academies and other military schools, the Citadel has a four-class system of taking young men and women out of their civilian lifestyle and making them military men and women. Um, however, unlike the academies, if you go to the Citadel, you actually do not have to be contracted to one of the U.S. Armed Forces. So you can go there, you go, go through all the military training, the formations, parades, ROTC classes, but at the end of the day, you knew there was really no battle that awaited you. Um, you could graduate and be like any other civilian. Therefore, um, as I went through a lot of my military training and ROTC classes and formation and getting yelled at and walking in the gutter and shining brass, I was always thinking, what am I doing this for? Like, the only battle that awaited me was playing a baseball game. And so I took baseball seriously, and I took, tried to take academics seriously, but not the military part. Yet if you looked at me, there is quite a difference between me at the Citadel and some of the other students. Their uniforms were a little tighter, brass, you know, polished a little bit better. And the distinction was these were contracted cadets. They knew at the end of their four years that very well a battle could await them. They were really getting ready to serve our country um, in the armed forces. Now, my laissez-faire attitude at the Citadel sometimes can be the same attitude we as Christians have in the battle that Paul is talking about in our passage this morning. And so Paul is reminding us, there's a battle. Now before we jump in to that, I do imagine that there's two like polar extremes about the way we might think about spiritual warfare. And one would be, let's call it just a naturalist view, that you're like, there's not really warfare. You don't believe in the supernatural. And we could go on a whole talk about that, but that's not the point of our sermon today. I'll just quickly say that if you do deny the supernatural, supernatural, you're denying the possibility of the existence of God, of any ultimate good. And thus, you're actually also minimizing your ability to actually even call anything bad or evil or wrong. And you're missing out on the one who actually can provide uh, the identity that Ben's talking about, to answer some of the big questions of life, of death and eternity, justice and love and forgiveness and purpose in these things. And so we can miss what Paul's saying by just thinking there is no supernatural realities or what I would call like misguided spiritual warriors. Um, uh, And just give a quick overview of what I mean, where Everything is about spiritual warfare, that everything in your life is just focused on uh, the mystical and satanic attacks uh, and not about actually knowing Christ and obeying him. This type of person, for instance, might be driving down the highway, their engine breaks down, you know, and they blame it on Satan. Satan made my engine break down and it's calling for an exorcism. And there's a lot of zeal, but no knowledge of the truth of who God is or even what this spiritual battle is really looks like. And so those are the two polar extremes. 
But let's not miss with what Paul is saying. He's saying there is a real spiritual battle going on. And after I've told you all this good news throughout the letter of Ephesians, don't forget there's a battle. So put on the whole armor of God, he says, that you may be able to stand. Stand against what? The schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, Paul says, but against the spiritual forces of evil. So this battle is personal that we all deal with, and it's supernatural. And Paul says that we wrestle, not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle. It's hand-to-hand combat. It's personal. It's real. It's face-to-face. It's not just theory of something we talked about in Sunday school growing up, or we talk about just for an hour on Sunday morning. When I was in sixth grade, uh, two elementary schools both uh, went to the same middle school. And so during PE and recess, we'd always play sports. And one team would always be all the kids from one elementary school, and the other team would be the kids from the other elementary school. And I was kind of like the ringleader of our elementary school's teams. And anyway, games would get heated, and there would be trash talking. And I always just considered, hey, the trash talking is just fun banter. There was nothing to it. Until one day, the bell rings after recess, all the teachers go in, and they throw my football into the woods. So I go back in the woods, and I get my football. I'm walking out the woods, and I realize there's like 20-plus middle schoolers, 6th to 8th graders, sitting there like saying all kinds of stuff, some stuff I'd probably never even heard before. And I knew it was on. And so I took off, high-stepping it to the middle school, and before I could get there, they caught me, and they tackled me, and held me down, and two of them just like went to town on me. The point of that story is not to tell you, oh, poor Hudson, but to realize at that point, I realized this wasn't just like fun bantering. This was real. This was face-to-face, literally, hand-to-face. It was serious. Um, And I think sometimes we talk about spiritual warfare as just kind of this theory. Yet Paul's saying, no, this is a real battle. It's a real battle. And where is this battle played out? Well, he says it's not just flesh and blood. Now, he's not saying that we don't really battle uh, and have to deal with real things in this real world. But behind it all, beneath it all, there's something deeper at play. Under it all, there's a battle of good and evil. There's a battle uh, of right and wrong. There's a battle of is God in your heart? Is God on the throne or is man on the throne? I heard uh, Pastor Tim Keller last summer in an interview He's currently uh, battling cancer, and while not at all diminishing how awful and painful, disrupting, and heart-wrenching cancer can be, Tim Keller stated something to the effect that his greatest struggle is not his cancer. His greatest struggle is not his cancer, but what's beneath that? His sin. He said his greatest struggle was not his cancer, but battling his sin. His heart's response to the suffering in, in his life was actually his biggest battle. And we're all tempted in those moments, in those moments of of suffering or struggle to wonder, is God good? Can I really trust him? Will I really, will I flee to him or will I flee somewhere else or to other sins to find relief, hope, and comfort? And so how how do the spiritual forces work? What is this battle? Because the battle plays out in our hearts And what's the schemes of the devil? Well, Scripture is very clear that Satan is the father of lies, that the enemy wants to attack truth, 
promote falsehood, create confusion and doubt, ultimately lead us to reject God and not walk in his ways. As he did in the garden, did God really say? And wherever that struggle is, whatever you're going through, that's where the enemy wants to, wants to get you. Can you really trust him? Did God really say? Did God really say? That's the battle that's before us. It's the battleground for God's glory in our heart. And it's played out all over the place. It's played out in our families, in our church, in our culture. Uh, and the question is, who will be Lord? It's, it's a battle of worship. It's a war of worship. That's where this spiritual battle takes place. Question, do we not think that there can be a real spiritual struggle even where we are as a church transitioning, as Sid leaves and we're transitioning into an interim pastor and looking for another pastor, wouldn't the enemy love to have a heyday here to get us to think, oh, do we really need the church? Should I really be committed to the church? Does God really call me to have to be a part um, of this church, to be under authority? Uh, do I really need the Christian fellowship here. I mean, I got a great group of friends at CrossFit. Isn't that just enough? Do I really have to sacrifice for the mission of the church? And there could be lie after lie that takes root in our heart and that can get us as a church even off track. Again, this battle can take place at many levels, personally in our own hearts. With an unexamined, unprepared life, we're susceptible to great danger. Think of those little sins that we get comfortable with, that go unchecked, that can fester and wreak havoc in our life. Will we repent and run to Jesus, or will we hide, excuse, cover up, ignore? The battle is there. Is not the battle also in our families, behind every argument about the dishwasher or bedtime or what you actually said in that argument? Is there not a spiritual battle there? Or let's move outside of that into our culture. Was there not a spiritual battle going on during COVID? Removing people from fellowship with one another in the church? Did the enemy not want to take a hold of that and use that for his purposes? Good things like youth sports. Does not the enemy want to pull families apart and pull families away from the church? Or the importance of education and teaching kids? But does not the the enemy want to use kids being educated uh, in ways that distort truth or the ways that they're impacted by media lead them uh, to thinking life is some, about something other than um, the truth? It's not in just the way we live our lives and the current of our time of materialism and busyness. Is there not warfare going on there? or the political visions and ideologies of our day, all these things, good things like youth sports and schooling and politics can be used for great purposes for God's kingdom, but oh, how the enemy likes to twist it, to twist it. Do you see the deceit there? Have we been trained to have eyes to discern where the fight is really going on? That's why when Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, a church that had all kinds of issues, he said, Hey, for our weapons um, of warfare, in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, For our weapons of warfare are not of flesh, but we destroy arguments 
and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. That in spiritual warfare, it's important that we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so, so far, here's my point. That Paul is wanting us to know that there is a battle going on. After all that good news, don't think we're just cruising. The enemy wants to get us off track. There is a battle for truth and worship in our hearts and in our lives and in this church. And so, should I end the sermon and say, now let's go fight? We've got to hold on. Hold on. Just like me, when I took off, heading for the middle school, hoping to make it to safe ground, and those kids caught me and they held me down, me, for some of those eighth graders, I had no chance. I had no chance. And we, honestly, we are, we're hopeless to think we can take on the enemy. Satan has a lot more experience and knows how to deceive us much more than we would like to give credit. But Paul also says we need not fear. For the one who is greater than he who is in the world has done a great thing for us. Or as A.W. Tozer said, he said, I'm not afraid of the devil. Now the devil, he can handle me. He's got judo moves I've never heard of. But he can't handle the one who I'm joined to. He can't handle the one to whom I'm the one to whom I'm united. He can't handle the one whose nature now dwells in my nature. And that's what John says in 1 John 3. He said, the reason the Son of God appeared, the reason Jesus came, was to destroy the works of the devil. And in our passage, that's what Paul's trying, that's what he's bringing us to at the very end. He's saying there's a battle, but there's a victor. The armor of God that he speaks to is pointing us specifically to Jesus, the one who won the battle for us. Paul is using language from Isaiah that Isaiah used talking about how the Messiah would win the battle. Read here. Let me read some of this language. Uh, you can see how Paul used um, Isaiah's words. And this is uh, actually the part uh, of the meditation in your e-bulletin. So this is the prophet Isaiah. He says, Righteousness or truth shall be the belt of his waist. Speaking of the Messiah. And again, speaking of the Messiah. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. He, God, made my mouth, again, speaking of uh, the Messiah, like a sharp sword sword of, of the spirit he put jesus put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head i read that just so you can hear paul's use of isaiah's words where basically he's trying to tell us that jesus is the divine warrior who has fought the battle for us that we can't go out there we are uh incapable in and of ourselves and that's why jesus or that's why paul when he wrote to the church in a Colossae, he said that at the cross, there is where Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. He triumphed over them in Christ, in himself. And that's what Paul says, our war, our battle is against him. And at the same time, he says, but Jesus has defeated him. Therefore, run to Jesus. Or this is what Paul told the Romans. In Romans 13, he said, cast off all the works of darkness. That's where the battle is. Put on the armor of light. Put on Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. 
So where do we turn in this battle? Paul's clearly trying to say, each morning, each day, each evening, put on Christ. Look to Jesus. You need him. In the midst of the day, in the midst of, in the midst of your day, in the midst of the battle, when you're discouraged, when you failed again, when you know that temptation is near, what Paul's telling us is run to the one who defeated your enemy. And you can rely on his promises. His promises that he tells us that he who began a good work in us, he'll bring it to completion. He's going nowhere. He will see us through. Jesus says that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Christian, we have assurance in what Christ has done for us. You need not fear. The victory is ours in Christ. That's the good news that Paul's trying to tell us. So what about the armor? Is there any um, importance of this armor talk that Paul's giving us? Well, yes. And I think the best illustration is a familiar one. Um, you've probably heard in talks or sermons in the past. But the example of, of D-Day, that we celebrate D-Day. D-Day was June 6, 1944, and it marked the landing of Allied forces in France. And it was the decisive victory. It ensured the Allied troops' victory on the Western Front in World War II. But it was 11 months later, 11 more months of fighting that the Allied troops had to do against the Germans before the Germans actually finally surrendered and the war was over. Likewise, Jesus has defeated Satan. It's over. We know the ending. And yet we are still in the battle. And so for that, what Paul's saying is Jesus has equipped us with armor. With this armor, Jesus won the victory, and yet he's given it to us as we follow him in the struggle that we still face each and every day. I remember when I was a kid, we'd play baseball in the backyard, and I would always bring out this huge, big old wooden bat, and it was way too big. I should had no reason even trying to play with it. And you might ask, well, why did, why did you bring this big wooden bat? Well, the reason on the end of it, uh, on the barrel... It had a signature, Babe Ruth. Now, it was a stamped signature that meant nothing. But in my kid mind, I want to use the equipment of the best. I want to use the equipment of the best. And here in our passage, uh, Paul is telling us that Jesus has given us that equipment. He's equipped us for what we need. That's why in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes that God is faithful. He will not let us be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. And what, what's that way of escape? Well, Jesus has given us his armor. He has given us this armor. And I just want to quickly name them and share one way that it's helpful in the battle um, for these. And I want you to pay attention. I know uh, we're, we're nearing the end here, and this might feel like you know, vacation Bible school or something, going over the armor of God. But let's humbly be reminded of how much we do need this. Because the battle is real. Remember, the battle is real. And Jesus says that he's given, or Paul says that Jesus has given us the belt of truth. That God's word is foundational for our life. That truth, truth gives us a place to stand in a world that's ever-changing, ever-shifting. And that's why doctrine is so important. That Paul has given us, or that Jesus has given us his word that we might stand. Now, we often hear that, oh, what really matters is just sincerity. 
as long as you're a person of faith. Um, doctrine divides, so let's just prioritize experience or love. But sincerity in following a lie is just what the enemy wants. But it's truth, truth in what's good, truth in what can change, truth in what can give us hope that must be the foundation of our lives. It must be the foundation of how we fight in the battle. And then he also gives us the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate is what protects the vital organs of the soldier, right? And he has, God has given us the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ applied to sinners. That's the core of the gospel message. Not our righteousness and what we can bring to the battle, but what Christ has done for us. And why is this important in the battle? Man, in the battle, we need assurance. Because the struggle, the fight, it can get us off in, in, in bad places. We need assurance. And the breastplate of righteousness gives us assurance that God will never turn his back on us, that God sees us through the lens of what Christ has done. And you know what? That cuts off the devil's schemes that would lead us to self-righteousness because I'm already righteous by grace, not my own self-efforts. It cuts off the devil's schemes of despair. I have been declared righteous. I am his. I need not fear. And he also gives us gospel boots. So we've received the message of peace with God. We've been reconciled to God. We get to be ambassadors. We get to go on mission and proclaim the splendor of the king. Paul tells us he also gives us a shield, a shield for protection, a shield of faith. And what he is not saying, what he's not talking about is the quality of how great our faith is. But what our faith is, it connects us to God. And it's telling us about how the quality of how great our shield is. Proverbs 35 says that God is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Jesus, because of what he's done, he invites us to him. God is our refuge. And he gives us the helmet of salvation, or also could be called the hope, the hope of salvation. Peter describes hope as essential for the battle. In 1 Peter 1, he says, that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, is kept in heaven for you. It's a sure thing. It's been won. And so he says in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of this battle, we have hope that allows us to persevere, to live holy lives, lives unto God with purpose. I love Shawshank Redemption. I don't know. We have any Shawshank Redemption fans? I love it. It's one of my favorites. Uh, and if you know, it's, it's in a prison, and it's a story of these, these men in this prison. And one of the main characters is Andy Dufresne. And Andy Dufresne sneaks into the warden's office and locks the doors one day and plays Mozart throughout the prison. And he just sits in there and relishes it knowing that the punishment's not going to be good. And it wasn't good. He got two weeks in the hole. And the hole was being put in a dark cell, isolated confinement. People go crazy in the hole. And so he gets out, and he's having his first meal with his buddies. And they're, like, wondering, you know, how did you make it? How did you make it? And Andy said, it was the easiest time I have ever served. And they're like, there's no such thing as easy time in the hole. A week in the hole is like a year. And Andy said, no, but I had, I had Mr. Mozart to keep me company. And they're dumbfounded. They're like, what? They let you take a record player? And he's like, no, I had it in here. I had it in here. That's the beauty of music. It's something 
uh, that's inside of you that they can't touch. And Red, his friend's like, ah, there's no place for that here. And he's like, oh, in here, this is where we need it most. We need to be reminded there's a place that's built without stones, that there's a bigger story, that there's something outside of here. And Red's like, what are you talking about? He's like, hope. It's hope. And that's what allows him to keep going. That's what allows him to keep going. And that's what the helmet of salvation gives us, hope, that we might persevere in the struggle, in the fight. It's the music that this world and Satan can't touch. And so he starts, he also starts the uh, armor of God with the word of God, and he ends it with the sword of the Spirit, that we need God's word, not only as a defense, but we need it on the attack. It's the one thing, it's the one armor that we have that actually goes on the attack, that it reveals and attacks the lies of Satan. Do you remember how Jesus defeated Satan in the wilderness? When Satan brought his lies to Jesus, Jesus responded with the word of truth, the word of God. So how much do we need it? We need to listen to it, to sit under it, to hear God's word, to take it into our lives, that in community we need to be talking about God's word and talking about how it plays itself out in our lives. Are we memorizing it? Are we taking it in? See, Christ won the victory for us. Now he's equipped us with this armor that we might follow him in this battle. And here's the reality. Just like last week, there's uh, minefields, and we will fall because of our own sin, because of doubt, because of us not accessing the armor of God in our life. And the reality is, too, sometimes God allows us to fall. He allows us to experience that struggle, to fall into sin and to realize how needy we are. Like me with the, uh, the kids all surrounding me, I'm hopeless without a Savior. Realize that each time um, you fail, Jesus is, is calling you back, you need me. I am the place of grace. I am the place of strength. Um, I need, you need me. And so where do you go when you fall? It is an invitation back to Jesus. It's an invitation to intimacy. And so that's how Paul ends talking about the armor of God, is we need to be prayerful people. See, prayer wasn't a part of the armor of God, but prayer by the work of the Holy Spirit is what uh, activates the armor of God in our life. God's calling us to intimacy with him. The point is that we would experience the splendor of the king. See, in our strength, we're weak. But on our knees in prayer, that's where strength is found. That's why Ben was asking for prayer. Because he's hopeless without the work of God in his life. He can go to Columbia and waste all his time unless... um, the Spirit is at work through him. We need the Spirit at work. And that's what, as we transition as a church, may we be a prayerful people. That's what I'm excited about Clyde. When we met with Clyde, Clyde talked about his desire that we would be a people that deeply know Jesus, that long to experience him more and more, and that we would be a prayerful people. And so let's be a prayerful people. Let's see how much we need him. Um, let's live out of that. Let me pray. Father, that's who we are. We are needy and helpless without you. And yet, thank you that we have great confidence um, that, Jesus, you are the victor. That that's why we come to celebrate that, to tune our hearts back to that, and to remember that you have not left us as orphans. You've not left us as civilians in a war. You've equipped us in you. And so, Lord, um, continue to bring our hearts back to that truth.
We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.